0: On this episode of the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about Magic the Gathering. Welcome back. I'm your host, Chris Bashan. And like I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to talk about Magic the Gathering, which is a um, card game <laughs> that I have never played. And I think it's like a card version of a board game. I don't know. I how Okay, I'm mean, the outcast. I, I know nothing about Magic the Gathering. Uh, if you've listened <laughs> to this show before, there's a few gaps in my my nerd training robotech was one of them pokemon was the other uh, and magic the gathering is also a, a nerd gap that i have but i've brought on uh, experts who who have feel they can speak with some authority on this given topic my first expert is here in the room with me and what is your name sir
1: uh, pete novice
0: welcome back pete how are you doing
1: i'm pretty good it's so hot in los angeles right now
0: yes we are recording from what may soon be on fire, Los Angeles? I don't know. Are we I'm, in a fire zone? I mean, parts of it are on fire. Yeah, parts of our city is on fire. Uh, Pete, what, what
1: type of nerd are you? What are, what are you, a gamer? Are you a movie guy? What? Where do you, um, how would you define yourself? I'm, I'm sort of like classic nerd. I'm a guy who was into like math and books. <laughs> um, oh, so you're like a profitable nerd. Uh, no, no, because <laughs> I became an actor. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, I was I was the guy who was doing like book reports on the Lord of the Rings in ninth grade. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, have have since branched out. I'm very like fantasy, sci fi. Not as much into video games as I may once have been. Mm-hmm. Um, never hit the consoles at yeah. all, really. But
0: yeah. Uh, and what is your just kind of quick? Uh, history with Magic the Gathering. Is it something you used to play? Is it something you currently play?
1: Uh, I played for a few years in college, um, spent a whole bunch of money, and then of course after college it's hard to find that same group of friends to hang out with all the time and hang out. So I continued spending money for a little while but never really got to play anymore and eventually sold all my cards.
0: (laughs) I was about to say you may find two new Uh, competitors here on
1: this show. Yeah, it hurts because like every time it comes up, it's like, oh, I wish I had a couple of decks sitting around that I could just pull out. (laughs)
0: Uh, Awesome. We'll hold on to your thoughts. We'll jump into it very shortly. Uh, My next expert is all the way in Chicago. What is your name, my
2: friend? Hey, my name is Bill Nielsen. And if Louis Armstrong put a spell on you, does that mean he was the original planeswalker? I don't know what
0: that means. What does that mean? (laughs) We oh, put we all get the it. Song,
2: I put a song. I put a spell on you.
0: Oh, I'm I'm still and, lost. And I'm the so the
1: Planeswalkers are like, eh, we'll
0: get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, Bill, so you've been on the show a few times before. Um, I've been on your show a few times before, and you always do. You, you still have a Magic the Gathering segment on your show, right?
2: You know, it, it's faded in and out a bit, but I do have Bill's Magic Minute, where in my video game podcast called So Many Bits, I set aside exactly well not exactly one minute but less than a minute to talk about magic the gathering just whatever topic i'm thinking about that week
0: yeah so i remembered that and when when we were scheduling this i was like oh my god i gotta get bill on because i'm pretty sure he knows this card game
3: (laughs) i am
2: generally familiar with magic the gathering
0: would you say magic the gathering is your like number one nerd love
2: Yes, yeah, I, I started playing back in high school. I uh, you know I played a bunch there. I played a bunch in college and then into my 20s and into my 30s. And while I'm technically like I haven't booted up MTG arena or played a paper event in a few months now, uh, you know I, I can't see ever really stopping playing at this point.
3: Okay.
2: Awesome.
0: Uh, we'll hold on to your thoughts. We'll jump into it really soon. <clears throat> my last expert is all the way over in New York. He's been on the show before. What is your name, my friend? T. Scott Ross. Scott, it's weird to have you on a non-Nintendo-centric topic.
4: How about that? First time. And what these uh, listeners might not know is, though Nintendo may be my, my first love, my, uh, my number one love in this world is Magic the Gathering. Uh, we haven't uh, chatted about that on any of these podcasts because it hasn't been revelant, um, relevant, relevant, It hasn't been or relevant. Um, I started playing Magic uh, when I was in high school uh, during uh, fourth edition uh, and had some original Ice Age boxes and uh, uh, original Homelands and thought I was really cool and bought three boxes of fallen empires and was like, I'm going to save these boxes and they're going to be worth so much money. And as you can hear the other two people laughing, Chris, it's because (laughs) fallen empires is regarded as one of the weakest, worst sets ever uh, in magic's history. Uh, And so I fell out of the game for a while until after college, I moved back in with my dad right before uh, I left for Japan, got back into the game during Mirrodin, And I played through Mirrodin and Darksteel and Fifth Dawn, went to a bunch of tournaments, uh, and then I left for Japan and then sold my entire collection. Why did I do that? Why? Because this was before the modern format. I sold everything. I had everything in all those sets. Then I uh, uh, got back in the game in 2010 during Innistrad, because that that sounded like a really cool vampire-y theme. And I played all through Innistrad and then uh, uh, did the whole circuit, went to a bunch of PGQs, um, came really close. And then I was like, you know what, I'm done. I just can't afford this game anymore. And again, I sold my entire collection, including ten Snapcaster mages I sold for ten bucks apiece. <laughs> and finally, they built a Magic the Gathering store about a block away from my house. And so... Uh, about uh, during the release of Kaladesh, uh, I stopped by and I was like, you know, I'm just going to draft. And then I uh, showed up and, you know, just did some drafting and would keep my good cards. And then eventually I was like, well, I guess I have enough for a standard deck. I guess I'll play some standard. And then, well, we have modern every Wednesday. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, you know, I'll go gather some, all right, I'll buy a modern deck. Okay, and then just like that, and just like that, I have, you know, four modern decks, and I'm competing in weekly PTQs. Uh, 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 I did, I did a, 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 Qualify for a pro tour, but because of my acting career, I wasn't able to go. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, well, we'll get to. And, your... Anyway, we'll we'll get to that. But but yeah, Magic the Gathering. I uh, uh I got a lot of I got a lot of info on that thing.
0: It's so weird to because I'm a nerd. You all know me. I'm a big nerd. But it's weird to be a nerd, and I'm a pretty hardcore nerd. But to be a nerd and not know about a thing, if like this is
1: a major thing to not know about.
0: It's so weird to hear these these terms that you're throwing around i'm like oh i think i could make a guess as to what that is but i i it would just be a guess but i you know oh, it's so interesting so so here's what i want to do uh since i don't know anything about this uh i want the three of you i'm just going to toss this ball up in the air i want the three of you to to define magic the gathering to me like pitch it to me as a, as a sales pitch like what is this what what is this
4: <laughs> i'll I'll give you a quick elevator pitch, Chris, and then I'll let everybody else elaborate. Uh, at its essence, Magic the Gathering is a combination of poker and chess. Um, it is a game where there is super, super, super amounts of skill, but there's also a lot of variants, like in poker uh in poker beginners can win all the time like you'll have a beginner run through the world series sometimes or not an or an amateur in a ch- in chess pros you cannot beat a pro in chess it is impossible uh magic is a perfect blending of those two things better players mostly will win better players can lose um but the uh, uh the the variance isn't as much as it is in like in like poker where a lot of it is did that card come up you know that's the essence of it and then it's a whole CC ccg collectible finance that's a different part of the game but the basis
0: of it that's what i'd say okay uh my other guests would you
1: so so i, I feel like i would appeal a little more to the uh the feel of the game like imagine you're a wizard and you want to fight another wizard, but you're, like, too cool to just punch him in the face. So you've got to have your, like, summoned minions and your spells to do that for you, right? Okay. This is that. This is that fight.
4: So that's why it's like chess. Chess, it's like a battle, one versus one. You know, you got the black pieces and the white pieces going out full-scale attack. Magic, it's one versus one, except you're both wizards and you cast your minions and your spells and then you attack each other. Uh, I know I just repeated what you just said. I didn't mean to be a, I'm such a dick. That's not what I intended to do.
0: Bill I, uh, Bill uh... Bill what do you do you agree with these definitions tossed forth so far?
2: Yeah, I mean um with what uh T Scott was saying like chess in, it's in the sense that there's lots of positioning in terms of the way you play on the board which is the cards that are on the table and then there's the poker component which is the cards that are not in play because uh you know when when you start out playing you know your first, the first thing you're trying to do is just grapple with the rules because the rules are so monumentally complex and they the language used on magic cards does not align with the english language which is kind of unfortunate and then, uh, so you spend a lot of time early on learning how to do that. And then once you do that, you can start thinking about how the board interacts and how different cards will work together. So once you've, once you've gotten the rules sort of uh, fluently down, you can start thinking about different combinations of cards and how they play together and how some work well and some don't work. And then you can find this other level of play, which is when you're playing your opponent where you're starting to learn what cards your opponent has in their hand based on what they're doing on the board. And then you're finding out a whole nother level of play. And then the final level of play is just the luck of the draw because, yeah, it's a fully randomized deck of cards you play with every time. So no two games are ever going to look alike.
0: So is it a competitive game or is there cooperative play? There's both. There
4: are. There are formats in which there is cooperative play, but in the end, it is always competitive. Even in the most famous uh, uh, cooperative format, uh, Commander, which is usually 4v4, and there's a lot of politicking, but most most of the time, uh, those games are four players versus four players, but you'll make alliances, or you try to, everybody attack the guy with the best deck, you know, that kind of thing. Um But it's mostly competitive. We're all trying to kill you. There are certain formats like two-headed giant, where it is two players against two players. Um, But it's never, it's never, you know, us two wizards trying to fight, you know, a monster that's in our deck. No, it is absolutely uh, one person is trying to win the
0: game. So, how? God, I have so many questions. So, did the game? uh, When when did Magic uh, first appear? Was it in the nineties? Uh, yeah, like like ninety
1: three. Okay,
0: think. is this something that spun out of like D D? It spun out of nothing. So this is well, like the well, original.
1: Like you played like Yu Gi Oh or something? Yes, I know of Yu Gi Oh. Okay. I've never played it. That's like the kids' version of this. Okay, or the Japanese version of this.
0: So how where did Magic come
4: from? Richard Garfield intended it as a a simple card game you could play between D and D sessions. That's what he created this game for. Uh, and then it and then it exploded and evolved from that. That was the basis of uh, his his explanation of why he created the game.
0: And it was specifically he referenced D and D.
1: Yes. Oh, it's so D and D. Yeah. Oh it's,
4: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, especially now because you know they're owned by the same. Company. <laughs> right. They bought, same company. D&D. they bought D and D. They bought it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. But yeah, that was the. That's what. Uh, that's what it was intended to be. And it is very D&D. It's like, it's like you, have, you have goblins, you have elves, you have humans, you have soldiers, you have lightning bolt spell, you have draw a bunch of cards. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's D&D in card format, except it's competitive, not uh, storytelling. There is a story with magic, and it's like it's, you have to read all the cards and kind of know the stories, but, but right. that's not... It's like background not, lore. Right, it's just background. You're there to just destroy your opponent, uh, as as efficiently as
3: possible. Hmm.
1: And it was originally designed as a game that you would play for for winning stakes. You would flip over a card from your deck at the beginning of each game, mm-hmm. and like the winner keeps those cards.
0: So that's how your deck would grow. Like you would
1: theoretically, but then everybody quickly realized that. When people have like spent money to get cards that they want, they don't want to play that way. hmm
0: Like they don't want to give up a card if they right lose. they don't want
1: the chance of losing their like card that they just went and spent $100 dollars on at the local game store.
2: I mean that since and, you're, like the yeah. possibility of having children playing Magic the Gathering and gambling with each other right is a thorny area that I'm sure they wanted to avoid
4: yeah they quickly banned anti this is the anti uh, mechanic. And it is one of the few uh, mechanics that is banned in the Vintage format, which includes uh, every card, every set ever ever printed. And there's a very short
0: banned list uh, for
4: that format. And
0: anti-cards are part of them. So, yeah, I thought that's, like, how you you grew your deck. Is, like, if I'm going to play you...
1: No, it's just money. You just go yeah. buy more. <laughs> so, Get more cards.
0: Well, okay, so if you just buy more cards to, like, have a better deck...
1: Um, I mean, but it's about, it's not necessarily about, did I buy the best card? It's, do I have the best combination of cards available to me right now in this hand of seven cards that I just pulled out of my 60 card deck?
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, it it kind of matters if you buy card. I mean, there are, there are cards
1: that are like, like quantifiably better than others. But you can't guarantee yourself a win by buying those cards
4: no no of course not Uh, um but also chris um a thing to understand too especially what happens now is there's a whole bunch of different formats and there's formats that are meant to be starting formats for players and then formats that are meant to be for players who have been around a long long time so standard is like the flagship format Uh, And that simply means all the cards that were printed in the last year, and then they rotate standard. And then once that happens, uh, of the six sets that are out, three will go away. And then they will print three more sets to go into that standard format, and it just continually rotates. Um, Because a new player will show up, and they can get cards from the new set. They can build their deck, and they're playing other people who have the same pool of cards. That's the standard format. Well, you go back a little further, and there's a a format called Pioneer, and that's everything from Khans of Tarkir forward. And that's an internal format, and that will always be those sets uh, going forward. So the format will just get bigger and bigger and bigger before Pioneer. There's Modern. Modern goes all the way back to uh, 8th edition. And before that, there's Legacy, which includes everything with a big ban list. And then before that is Vintage, which is everything with a tiny ban list. So what they do is they try to get you into the starting format or we're going to go do a draft, we're going to go play some standard and then gradually through trading or through special sets that come out you start acquiring other cards to be able to build these more powerful decks because the older the format is, the much, much more powerful the decks become.
1: I'm watching Chris slowly lose his mind in confusion here. Well, but I think part of the, part of the issue is there's, there's two sort of very different Uh, ways to play this game. One is you're hanging out with your buddies at home, Mm -hmm. in which case you're just sort of like pulling all your stuff out. You've got some house rules. You've got some wacky things. You have like theme nights, whatever. The other is all of these like officially sanctioned tournaments, which are like super like top-down regulated. There's like pretty, not pretty strict, like very strict card lists like Scott was talking about. Um, And that is a way to like kind of level the playing field a little bit. So people don't have to try and find that like two thousand dollar card that was printed twenty years ago to make their deck complete. Um, you know they're they're working with what's available in a store right now.
0: The look that you saw in my eyes was, because Scott mentioned something like they they had like a, a standard deck and then like after a year they three of them would go away. They introduced three more. Is that how right. you said, Scott? Something like that. Correct. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, like, th- I'm seeing dollar signs. That's oh, what I'm seeing. It's, it's, right.
1: this is just they're just like milking. Men ages like fourteen to sixty five for money. I mean D D right.
0: milks people, you know, but this sounds like this is like every year there's like a new
1: You can you can spend every three months hundreds things. of dollars every oh couple God. of months easily.
0: Like if I if I how much would enjoy I need to it. how much would I need to spend if I wanted to like play the game? How much would I need to buy? I
4: need I eight hundred dollars. I need you to ask. I need you to tell me what format you want to play. If you want to play standard, you can buy a ninety dollar standard deck and roll up to an FNM at a local game store and play in a little standard tournament. Nothing like crazy or major, but just like a tournament where you know you can't be like, "Oh, I didn't mean to do that," but because you're playing for packs. If you win, you get packs of cards or store credit. Uh, you could pay eighty to ninety dollars for a standard deck. The most expensive standard deck right now is like. Um, maybe 500 if you really wanted to go oh my God. You know, full balls to what ball in, in standard. Yeah, Wait, oh, you, yeah, yeah.
0: You said the cheap ones were like 90 bucks.
4: Oh, oh, yeah. How many oh, cards absolutely. do
0: you get for that?
4: It's, it's, it's a like, 60 card deck with a, okay. with a 15 card sideboard. But here's the thing now, here's the thing a lot of people who don't play magic don't realize you will go out and spend 50 to 100 dollars on a board game, correct? You've bought that board game, you've played it, and it's sitting in your house. They're very hard to resell. You Sometimes you can resell them, but you've done it, you've played it, and it's going to sit there. Well, if you're smart about your magic cards, you you get the deck, you buy into magic, and then your cards hold value. They're still valuable, and you can trade them, sell them to play a new deck. You play in a draft, and you win packs. You take the cards you won from the packs. You trade them to get your modern deck. Now I got my modern deck. I can play in more tournaments. And so it's this, like, revolving thing that, yes, you are spending a lot of money, but you're also acquiring cards that do hold value. And if you know what you're doing, you can do very very well and you can either at least break even or make a lot of money and i i had done so poorly up until my this current round of magic that i'm going through right now i have i have figured it out i have figured it out i'm doing i'm doing great i'm in the positive uh
1: because Uh, this, (laughs) this is like any other kind of addiction where like no, you feel is. like you beat it for a while, and then you're right. like, "No, I've got it under control this time. Right. I got no, a system." It, it, uh, but what yes. you, yeah, what you fail to
4: realize is there's a system. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not kidding myself. I'm just saying I'm doing well because I used to do really bad. <laughs> I used to. I, I I used to. I used to just do stupid stuff. Even though I'm doing stupid stuff now, but at least I know how to. Uh, uh, I know where to go to sell the cards and not to buy list them and like buy list certain ones and like buy cards on spec but that's mtg finance and literally you can do an entire podcast about the game and then you can do an entire podcast about mtg finance because it is like stockbrokers
0: but for magic the gathering <laughs> so do do the cards gain value like the way uh, a old comic book would the is card cards
2: value... are on like a generally inflating bubble from basically the the first time they were printed until today. Like, it's kind of unbelievable, but seemingly every Magic card rises in value given enough time. Mm
3: -hmm. Well,
1: because, I mean, over time, there's just more players, and more people want that limited amount of cards that were printed back in 1997. Um, And, you know, when something new comes out and there's all these new combinations that people want to try out, like suddenly there's new options for old things.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's true. There's an ever-shrinking supply of cards from the 90s because they're made of cardboard. And back (laughs) in that time, people did not play with, like, sleeves or did not protect their cards nearly as carefully as people do now. And there is an ever-increasing demand from newer players who would like to get into those older formats.
0: And do you, do you play with your like if you have these old valuable cards? Do you play with them? Like do you take them to your games and play with them?
2: Oh yeah, I mean you put them in a
1: plastic sleeve,
0: right? Like and like watch your bag.
1: Oh, you you keep them in your hand. Okay. You're, yeah, because I mean it's a deck of cards. It's yeah. not like a big thing, but yeah, when you've when you've got basically a deck of cards and some of them are worth a hundred bucks, three hundred bucks, you're not you know. And the way you play the game is you spread them out on a table in front of you you know
0: I don't know how I feel about this game. I don't. I don't, I don't know this is, I'm hearing. it sounds like a Ponzi but, scheme but, but
1: on the other on the other side, like you and I could go to a game shop right now. we could spend 20 bucks, we could get a lot of essentially valueless cards and we could have a great time playing. We wouldn't be competitive mm-hmm. anywhere, but we could have a fun time just hanging out playing a game.
0: What, uh, yep. what, what does, just to kind of compare it to other things, what does Magic, like what, what, what is interesting to you about Magic the Gathering that D&D or video games or comic books or board games do not give you? Like what does Magic give that those other things do not?
4: It's the highest form of strategic gameplay that is not chess, in my opinion. It is, it is, when you get to the higher levels of Magic the Gathering, it is incredible. I mean, the rules, like they said, the rules are so complex that they have judges, like multiple judges, because not all the players really, really know all of the rules, and because every single time they have a new set, they introduce a new mechanic to the game, so... The game has been around since 93 so the number of mechanics are they, they blow your mind the number of mechanics so if you're playing in a format where all of these mechanics you know from 30 plus years are in the same thing and then you see how you can relate and you know put a mechanic on top of a mechanic and how does that work always oh, exile them but before you exile them i'm going to bounce them to your hand but in your hand you you know it's just like y- you would create this chain effect and it's it's that strategic trying to figure out what is your opponent doing you know what am i doing how am i going to use the stack effectively blah 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 match at the gathering terms Uh, but it is just so incredibly competitive and so incredibly highly strategic that it is so satisfying on so many levels for a gamer for 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 a competitive board gamer
1: and it, it really rewards having a comprehensive knowledge of the game. Like if you know all of the cards that are available and what they can do, like a like part of what I loved about it is that every day I'd, I'd just like flip through my box of cards and I'd see two random cards that look like they might work together. And I'd be like, huh, I wonder if I can make a deck around that. And then you do it and you try it and it fails horribly. And then you do it again the next day, and something works. And like it's that, like, like you are creating the game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Bill, what about you?
2: Uh, I'm sorry, I lost the thread a little bit. What what does
0: what does magic give you that like video games or board games or comic books or D and D does not?
2: I think that it's not a solvable situation. I think the magic is not solvable is what makes it so appealing and keeps me coming back to it because while it is kind of uh, virulent that they put out a new set every three months, it does also mean there is a new combination of cards and a new set of decks and a new round of uh, limited play to kind of unravel and see like how all these different cards are going to work together. And just like that, discovery every time makes it so you you want to see what's coming down the chute next. Even if you're not like thrilled with the current set, you're like, well, next set, maybe they're going to have something even cooler. Maybe they're going to reprint this card and it'll be used in this entirely new context we didn't see the last time it was around. So that discovery is what keeps me uh, involved with Magic after all these years. What, what did you say, Scott? It's the
0: most strategic game after chess is that what you said something
4: like that yeah like purely high level strategy game the only game that that i think topples it or you know competes with that is chess because chess is just absolute 100 percent pure strategy there are millions of books about chess chess is not a solved game Uh, Magic the Gathering mostly isn't a solved game, and when it does get solved, it usually gets solved within a format, and as soon as that happens, uh, Wizards of the Coast will just ban cards, uh, if they have printed a card too powerful. Recently, they had a planeswalker named Oko, and they printed this, you know, this planeswalker named Oko, and its abilities seemed so minor, and when the card came out, no one thought it was gonna be that powerful, and the card ended up being one of the most powerful cards of all time rivaling the power nine it was so stupidly broken uh and now it's banned in every format except vintage i think uh, it's it's you know but when 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 the format then they just a couple weeks ago they just banned a whole bunch of cards from standard because their standard format right now has been trash it really has been uh, They printed a big power creep this past year to sell a bunch of cards, and because they printed the power creep, um, they had to ban, you know, four cards out of every set, and the players were unhappy about it. Um, Like, that's just
1: bad management.
4: Yeah, it was, it's one of those things where they printed the power creep because they wanted the modern players and the legacy players to have to spend money to buy into these standard cards they normally wouldn't do. The standard cards are usually weaker. So if you print more powerful standard cards, these old players, they need to go and buy some Okos. They need to go and get some Once Upon a Times. Uh, and then they realize that they broke their own format. So I get why they did it, I understand, from a business standpoint. like the Magic players get so angry that Wizards wants to make money. They get so <laughs> furious. And, and, I, and I try to remind them, look, Wizards is a business. If you want to keep playing Magic, they need to make money. And yes, they're greedy, but they've got to make money. And if no one's playing Standard... Magic's not making money. They make money on the new sets that they open. They don't make money on the $10,000 Black Lotus that's sitting in some, some guy's drawer if he sells it on eBay. Like, they don't make any money off of that. They didn't sell Black Lotuses for $10. They sold them for, you know, in a $3 booster pack. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I want to I go back to something that has kind of been brought up a couple times, but you, you mentioned, it was mentioned earlier that the game was created as, as something you would play between D&D sessions, and Pete, you brought up, like, imagine, you know, you're a wizard and these are your minions or whatever. What is, what is, what is the lore of the game? Like, is it all fantastical or is there science fiction elements to it or, or contemporary elements or is it is it really, like, tied to that D&D mythos?
1: I mean, some of that other stuff kind of drifts in in a kind of, like, tongue-in-cheek way sometimes, but it's definitely, like, super fantasy But like really wide ranging, like like Tolkien to steampunk to dinosaurs to you know like actual medieval stuff, right? Um, Gods of every version, dragons.
2: Hmm. Yeah, they have what's called like they have their own multiverse, basically. Where every time they do a new set, usually they'll go to what's called a new plane. And then the wizards are in-universe known as planeswalkers because they have the unique power to move between the different worlds. Or that is to put it another way, they can be in different sets that way. So you have usually a central cast of planeswalkers that show up and are like the driving force of the conflict that'll appear on the cards and be talked about in the flavor text of the cards for a given set. And then in the next set, they'll have a new story, a new world, a new setting, and then maybe one or two planeswalkers from an old set will show up, and then you'll have some new planeswalkers, and they'll bounce off each other, and then two of them will split off and do their own thing. And they have, on a few occasions, built to a larger story arc that has spanned multiple sets. Like, way back in the 90s, they had what was called the the Weatherlight Saga, which was where they had the cast and crew of this ship, the Weatherlight (laughs) and they kind of followed their story for several years running like even uh the the set invasion uh was like when they kind of capped it all off back in like 2001 and then just recently actually last year that we saw the kind of the culmination of a big story arc in this uh, set called war of the spark where this uh evil uh arch enemy dragon nickel bolus was the big bad and had been running around for a while and then all the the good guy planeswalkers had to team up to take him down can
0: you play the game in a story centric way
1: no
2: no
0: okay they, i mean if
1: you really wanted to do like a theme night you could like scour your cards for like mm-hmm. thematically appropriate things okay. but it's not a game with a plot
0: okay there's no plot no nope.
2: okay. they've released a couple uh source books now for D D based on planes so i think like ravnica which is a set in Magic. Uh, they've released like a source book for D D about it. And they've done a couple of video games about Magic that try and build on the plot of the the you know, the cards, but yeah, nothing nothing too story centric.
0: How are those kind of like extra outings, you know, like you mentioned they they've done some games based on it, Bill? Are those games any good or is it like kind of a
2: cheap cash in you know or they've tried they have tried (laughs) uh i think the most fondly remembered one is this game that's simply known shorthand as Chandelier. like the official name is just magic the gathering but this is a game that came out in the 90s and it was a the first time you could like digitally play magic the gathering and you would kind of walk around in this isometric perspective on a world and like You know, in a typical RPG, you run into someone, there's menu-based commands, item, fight, run. But here, if you ran into an enemy, you played a game of Magic. And it kind of delivered on the idea of anti that was initially in the paper game, but, you know, had to be stripped out for obvious reasons. But they could do it in the digital game because you were, you know, going up against enemy AIs. So there wasn't any problem if, you know, you beat them and you took their best card to add to the strength of your own deck. And unfortunately, that game has kind of fallen out of use because it's just not playable on modern operating systems. There is a game called Thronebreaker: The Witcher Tales, which is pretty modern that emulates a lot of the design ideas of Chandellar, but it's you know set in the Witcher universe. Is that but... with like Gwent cards? Yes, exactly. So it's the same general idea, but you play Gwent when you run into people instead of playing Magic. And just otherwise, there there have been a few other attempts to make video games. Like they they put one out for the PS1 that's really rough to go back to. They put one out for the Xbox, the original Xbox, that's kind of rough to go back to. It's a little better, but it's uh, it's a very... <laughs> I, I literally, I, I spent like hours and hours trying to beat that game. It's called Magic the Gathering Battlegrounds and I can't beat it. It is furiously hard
3: ah man <laughs>
0: <laughs> this game i, I mean, it's so interesting like i've never i've never been interested in magic um now to be fair i've never had someone really introduce it to me like i've never i've never watched a game play i've walked into stores to buy D books and i've seen stuff going on
1: one of these days i will do for you what the super goth native alaskan guy did for me my freshman year in college at the university of alaska fairbanks so that's a great that's a great question i mean that's how you learn like how did you
0: how did you how did you all get pulled into this like my brother pulled me into dungeons and dragons so how did you all get sucked into no, that's, that's how it
1: goes. Yeah, like I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm 3,500 miles away from home. I don't know anybody, but all these people sitting around the pool table in my dorm lounge are playing this like game that looks frigging amazing. So this guy is like, you want to learn how to play? I was like, yeah. So we went and we sat down for like 20 minutes and he sort of like walked me through the basic rules and he was like, um, let me give you like, uh, I'll give you a deck of cheap cards and you can come hang out and play with us he
0: gave you he just gave you like some old cards he had
1: yeah i mean this was it wasn't then what it very quickly became okay it was it was still a thing where like oh sure you just you know you throw one of your buddies 20 bucks and he gives you a bunch of the stuff that he's got like 16 of and um i mean this was back like this was this was 94 so the game had been out for about a year the insanely expensive rare early editions were gone, but we were like just past that point. And it was just like this cool casual thing that you just hung out and did.
4: God, I bet that that little stack of free cards that he gave you would be worth ridiculous. Amounts oh, my God. Right yeah. Now. I mean, it was, I can't even imagine what was in that.
1: It was all like third edition and dark and stuff like that. Yeah. From
4: unlimited. Yeah. And the yep. old oh, the dark. Oh, my gosh. So, That's a funny thing too. Like yeah. back in the day, dual lands, which are one of the most sought after things for legacy players, they were worthless at the time because players didn't think that they were good or needed or why would you need why would you why would you need this? Who cares if it's a okay, whatever. Um and you know, they were like worth a dollar and yep. <laughs> those cards are worth like, you know, if it's if it's from, you know, Alpha Beta, it's like thousands and thousands of dollars for these cards now. You just didn't know. It's so weird,
0: Scott. Uh, how did you get pulled in? Because I don't remember you playing so in college. I, um, you, you you did not play when I was living with you. I don't remember you playing.
4: Yeah. Um. So I the first time I um I I, I got I bought a deck of fourth edition like a starter deck, and I had it like because it was like magic and I was into magic like. Not like Magic the Gathering, but like, you know, poof magic. <laughs> the idea of. Yeah. Um, you mean literal playing. magic. And so then I got these cards, <laughs> literal magic. And so I guess my dad thought that they were like, you know, magic. And then so I got the, the deck and I was I was pretty young and I looked at the rules and tried to like figure out how to play the game forget it i I was just i tried to teach my i couldn't do it it made no sense because i didn't understand that the little starter deck that i had was in no way a playable deck it it literally meant this is like a random
1: assortment of cards
4: shitload more cards (laughs) right yeah so uh, um so then my stepdad uh bought a bunch of magic cards and then we built two decks and then we just played Kitchen Table Magic. Now, we played such ki- kitchen, kitchen Table Magic. My deck had 110 cards. And his deck had 230 <laughs> cards. For, like, just <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. And th- they're laughing, Chris, because if you're playing a normal one-on-one, you have 60 cards and you don't have a card more because that's stupid. Um, and but lit- and you're, you're allowed to have 110 cards. It's just not wise it's just that means your deck has no plan it means you just got a bunch of crap in your deck and we thought we were so good we rolled up to a local game store and tried to compete in a tournament and and i didn't understand like what the game was meant to be because i had this whole deck and, and mine was about dragon and i had to get to my she and dragon and i sheave and dragon you and kill you well she dragon doesn't come out till at least turn six uh
1: well, and the game's probably you know, over. By I that. played a
4: guy who was like turn one. Yeah, right. I had yeah, t- turn one. There's a there's a one one guy. Turn two. There's a two two guy who boosts my one one guy. Uh, turn three. There's a big old spider. And turn four, you're dead. How's that Sheevan dragon coming? <laughs> I was like, oh no, what is? And then I realized that the game is just played more efficiently than I thought it was. Uh, so I dropped that, and then. After college, when I moved back in with my dad, my little stepbrother, uh, he played with all of his friends. And I was like, oh, I don't want to play Magic. I'm going to buy some cards. Well, they were all playing Kitchen Table Magic, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on the internet, and I'm going to look up what the good decks are, and I'm going to build it, and then I'm going to... Now I'm going to punish him. And so at the time, this was when Arcbound Ravager and Skullclamp was in the format. And so I built myself a Arcbound Ravager deck. Well, little did I know the deck that I built is one of the best decks that's ever been in standard and i literally i destroyed my brother so bad i was like i'm gonna take this to the local game store i roll up to the local game store and i just i just destroy everybody and i back then they had these like rankings and if you lost to someone who was unranked your ranking like plummeted i roll up to this game store and i beat like four people you know uh who had been playing for years and they're like my ranking is gonna crumble because i lost to you and i was like i don't know i just got this new Mirrodin set heard it's pretty good um and then because I left for Japan I sold all my cards. There's oh, so
0: much man. status but, uh, attached uh, <laughs> to this when there shouldn't be. It's so funny to this is so interesting. This is so It is so I mean fascinating. Yeah, I
4: mean it's it's imagine it like any other esport. Imagine it like it is an esport now because of Magic Arena, but um I feel like it was the first esport before any other thing was an esport. Like it was it was a competitive game there are there are now casual is what makes it money you know because there's tons of casual players tons and tons more casual players than tournament players um but that's the scene that i got into mainly because i was just trying to beat my little snotty stepbrother just kidding love you marcus uh i I just trying to beat him and all of his friends and look cool because i had the cool deck. And, I, and, you know, and I'd be like, oh, I'll trade you this really cool creature for that stupid artifact. He'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, ha-ha, I just got this amazing artifact that you didn't think was good. Um, terrible. So awful. Uh,
0: Bill, how did you get pulled in?
2: You know, I faintly remember seeing some cards at the local card store when I was going to buy, like, you know, a pack of NBA stuff. Uh, Back in, like, 94, 95. But when I really got in was in middle school. uh, I started playing, I remember distinctly, on the school bus on our way to a field trip with my friend Ben. And we were playing off the same deck. So we took his deck. We split it in half. And we, like, would each play with our half of the deck. And uh, then I would go on to buy my own cards. uh, Play for a little bit. Kind of drop off but then really get back into things in earnest, like my junior year of high school and I started going to uh, local card tournaments in my area. Uh, uh, From there, when I got to college, there was, uh, oh God, what's the actual acronym? I think it's Strategic and Role-Playing Alliance. Uh, That's just a guess, but the the acronym was SARPA. I I joined the club SARPA, which was where all the Magic players were, and we would start drafting constantly the the newest sets in the student union and then driving to tournaments in uh, western new york and ontario to see if we could uh, like play and win these pro tour qualifiers and you know as i started driving and going to these uh events i like fell in even deeper because i would meet people there and i go to the one like a month later and it's like oh Dan, I I've, I saw you before. I saw you made the top eight, and this time I'm going to make the top eight. Uh, I even a couple of times managed to to win a couple of them, and uh, went to uh, you know events in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and, uh, and Paris, and and that's like was meeting people who I'd only ever talked to online, like in message boards and on the Magic Online Client, and just. Getting to do that while also being in a foreign country, while also paradoxically not seeing that foreign country at all—just staying in a convention center <laughs> and playing Sarah. Magic: and Gathering. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: I, for the Paris trip, I did actually try and do some sightseeing, but the Geneva trip was st- three straight days of McDonald's and uh, playing Magic. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Did that answer the question?
3: This
0: is, yes. No. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm amazed and appalled that you were in Switzerland, but you didn't get to see Switzerland. Uh, Oh my gosh.
1: Like, I don't usually feel like like the old guy nerd who's like, I was into this before you guys made it into a job. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, man, I thought like this took over my life for a few years, (laughs) but you guys are on another level.
2: Well, it's kind yeah. of like you—you know—you went—you waded into the water. You went underwater for a little bit. You saw, oh, there's more water down there. Okay, and then you swam back. Right. Yeah, up I didn't to the buy scuba tanks we... or anything. <laughs> yeah, we we just like were like, yeah, and we like grabbed a bunch of rocks and held onto the rocks so we could plunge deeper <laughs> yeah. and deeper into the inky abyss.
4: We we brought drilling equipment.
2: <laughs> so uh, this
0: might be a fun kind of little segue. What? Just given kind of all your personal experiences, what is a really uh, fond Magic the Gathering memory that you have? Whether it's maybe your first time playing, or maybe uh, something you saw in a game that was really cool, or something competitive, you know, on a larger level. Like, what's what's a experience with the game that has always stuck with you? I have a ton of these stories for D anD. D so. <laughs>
4: I'll tell mine, um, and mine's re- mine's really simple. Um, um, and it's it was just funny what happened. Uh, uh, this was at uh, uh, at a GP. We're in the last round. Uh, if I win this game, I get into the top eight. Uh, and Chris, in the Magic world, getting into the top eight is that's that's what you gauge your success. Almost more so than winning. You you gauge your, when they talk about players, they go oh so-and-so has been in this many top eights, uh, Reed Duke, this many top eights. Luis Scott Vargas, this many top eights. Uh, so it's like your, it's your thing. If you, if you got a top eight, that's great. So, uh, I'm, I'm playing a deck called Mardu vehicles. I'm playing, uh, I'm, I'm on a tear. I've only lost one time, uh, in the, in the two day tournament. Uh, but that's how it is. Like if I get my second loss, I get knocked out. um, I'm playing a deck that I... I, I'm playing against uh, a deck that I'm unfavored against. And I knew right away, he dropped his black-green land on turn one. And I went, oh no, why is he playing this deck? No! Um, So I'm playing against Golgari, which is the black-green style, uh, black-green clan. Um, And we go back and forth on on this. And in game three, the deciding game, uh, our game is still going on. And... Uh, everybody else's game is finished, so everybody knows that it's a it's a deciding game. So we have like a whole bunch of people surrounding, watching the game. Uh, and I, in my head, I'm like, okay, uh, all I need to do is draw a creature. If I just draw a creature, I'm gonna win the game because I slam that creature and I activate my my uh, Heart of Kirin, which is a vehicle, and attack him for four and win the game. Uh but something this is so funny because magic players are so jerks like this. So when creatures come into the play, Chris, some of them have an enter the battlefield or an ETB effect. Okay. Well, in my head, I'm going, all I need is a creature. All I need is a creature. Oh, if I can just get a creature, I'm gonna win this game. He doesn't have any cards in his hand. If I can just get a creature, I'll win this game. And I draw the top card off my deck and Bam! It was a card called Veteran Motorist. When Veteran Motorist comes into play, Scry two. That's his ETB effect. And I knew that if I played that card, I could activate him, Crew, uh, which is you crew vehicles. It's a mechanic. It's crazy. Anyway, bottom line is I'm going to win this game now. So I slam it down and I turn it sideways and I and I and I activate the heart. I, and I attack with the heart of Kieran and I stand there and wait. And the guy kind of pauses a little bit. And then he reaches his hand and shakes my hand, and I'm like, yay, I made the top eight. And the guy next to me goes, you know you missed your scry two enter the battles ability. <laughs>
2: it was like, oh. That is I, the perfect encapsulation <laughs> of magic playing.
4: Was like, that is, it was such a Magic the Gathering moment because I, I had just won. It's all I needed. But the person was, he he, was, he wasn't being a bitch. He re- I said a bitchy. He really wasn't. He was letting me know, hey, you missed your ETB trigger. That's bad. You can't miss that trigger, you know? And in my head
3: I'm like, it was kind of a jerk move. It it, it was a little
4: it was a little bit of a jerk move. he wasn't mean about it, but by saying it he was being a little bit of a jerk. But man, did that like just perfectly encapsulate
0: uh competitive Magic the Gathering. (laughs) But you're gonna say you won like five thousand dollars.
4: No, 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 no. I mean, I won a good amount. I did, I did win a, um, a good amount. I, I ended up finishing eighth place in that top eight. Um, but I did, I did uh, win enough money to buy a modern deck. So,
2: yeah, I did win a couple thousand.
0: <laughs> uh, Bill, what about you?
2: I'm trying to think of moments that aren't just like uh, humble brags or me rattling off the names of like eight different cards where you would need to look up like what each card individually does. Um, ouch ouch <laughs> well that's a, that's a burn on me that's a burn on me not not no no offense intended uh i'm trying to all right so there was there, i'm just gonna say a, a couple here there was uh i went to the united states national championships a couple years and uh in 2008 i went to the one that was actually in chicago at mccormick place which chris uh you probably remember mccormick place it's way down on the Southside by Surmac in Chinatown and uh, that was just like this amazing weekend because you know I went down with a bunch of friends. we my friend's dad owned an RV so we all like carpooled down in his RV. We uh, I ended up playing in what was known as a last chance qualifier tournament where basically to play in nationals you already either had to have a sufficiently high ElO rating win what's known as a regionals event, or you could play in one of these last chance qualifiers, which took place the day before. There were single elimination. There were like, you know, very low success rate. But uh, in spite of that, I managed to win one of these. And it was just like one of the only times where I got to play and win in front of my friends. Because usually when you win in these events, everyone else has already left because they're done playing for the day. So... At the very end of the tournament, usually it's you, you, uh, your opponent, your, the people who are driving there with you, and the judge, and also, like, the manager of the card store or whatever, and it's kind of a lonely experience sometimes, but here, in this case, it was just, like, the most uh, enjoyable, uh, like, series of games that I ever got to win uh, when playing uh, with this, in this qualifier, but I guess to have an actual story, an actual event that happened. Uh, It would be this time I was playing in a tournament and we were, you know, going back and forth, but I, I was, you know, slightly advantaged. And I was talking, going back and forth with my opponent and he's like looking at two cards in his hand and I'm, you know, sizing things up, looking things over and he's like, yeah, I'm not sure what to do. My opponent says, yeah, I'm not sure what to do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's tough. You're probably figuring out how, how to best use your resounding roar and soul's fire. And he, he got this look on his face. His eyes went wide, and then he turned the cards around to show me resounding roar and soul's fire. Like I, that I had. Th- that's the only time I think I've ever 100% predicted the two cards in a person's hand from an unknown oh, position. Oh, whoa, weird. Was he pissed? He wasn't pissed. He was just, like, stunned, I think, because... (laughs) Is this dude cheating? (laughs) Well, like, because you would expect, like, you know, there are spells, Chris, that can remove your opponent's creature. Okay. So, like, you know, there's lots of cards that do that, but he was looking for a way to remove one of my creatures, and I was looking with his two-card combination. Resounding roar buffs the strength of a creature, and then Soul's Fire allows you to use that creature's power to remove another creature, so, like, just to to have identified that specific two card combination of the buff and the removal, there was uh, it was a long shot, just in the dark.
0: <laughs> what you got, Pete? Um,
1: what
2: you
0: got?
1: So mine are on the other end of the spectrum. Um, so there was it was like, what would have this been about? Nineteen ninety eight. Um, my whole extended family was getting together for like. A little like family reunion weekend at a holiday inn but that was also the weekend of the magic tournament at a local gaming store which i had never participated in one of these before and i was like you know what i got a deck i'm a cool guy i'll go to this thing so i borrowed my parents minivan ducked out of the holiday inn for a couple hours drove down there promptly got my ass kicked by an eight-year-old
3: oh, no. which
1: which really taught me that doesn't matter if you're smart, because there's eight year olds out there like looking up decks on their internet and then their parents buy the cards for them. Uh, and I was like, this is not how I want to play this game. <laughs> so that, that's, this
0: is a question that's been hovering in my mind and, and I'll relate it the only way I know how to. So like during the course of this pandemic, I have re-engaged with Starcraft 2 and been playing with like my brother and a couple another friend of mine in Chicago. And like we've been training and then we decided, hey, we're going to go online and we're going to play another th- group of three people. Like we're going to do three on three. And they obliterated us, you know, they used <coughs> tactics I have not seen. And like they their actions per minute were like in the hundreds, you know. So, you know, my question is the people who are good at magic or the people who are really competitive with it. Are they really good? Like are they are they doing strange and just really smart uh, actions, uh, or is it really a luck of the draw? Or, or you know, if you see someone that's really good and they lose because of the luck of the draw, is it like ah, you know, like what? Yeah, I mean, are they all really good eight-year-olds? Like, what's? <laughs> I mean, it's it's all of those things. <laughs> it's all of those things. Yeah. But you said this kid bought like he just had a superior deck. Like, so he bought his way
1: to superiority, right? Essentially. Well, yes. He could still have lost. He could have been a terrible player, not knowing how to use what he had.
0: Like what? Like what if I we were playing chess, and what if my chess board was nothing but queens, and you had pawns?
1: If you were a bad enough chess player, <laughs> I, I could beat you
0: with just pawns and all my and, queens. And
1: honestly, I, I that game was closer than I made it sound. Okay. With my with my like shoddily built homemade deck that I had just like thrown together on a whim of like, I wonder if this kind of deck could work. You know, like, there's always that possibility. Like, he shook my hand after the game in a very, like, weirdly mature, like, oh, well played, sir. (laughs) And I wanted to be like, screw you, eight-year-old. Go back to your holiday (laughs) inn. Right, right. (laughs) I'm going to go sit in the jacuzzi with my mom.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, uh, a lot of Magic players like myself watch a lot of videos of professionals playing magic uh, and it's not like I do it because I, I want to see it's not like I'm like oh wow him just did you watch a magic game it's like no I want to see well how are you using this spell and when do you use it and how are you going to sideboard sideboard uh, uh, so you play three games in a match and after the first game you get you, you basically get to see what your opponent is doing and so you get to go to your 15 card sideboard and pull out any specific cards you think would be really good against your opponent's deck, so that's that, that's a whole thing too. Being able to predict what the metagame is going to be at your local game store, at the next GP, at the next PTQ, or whatever it is that you're playing, and be prepared for it. If you're going to a modern tournament and you're you're like, all right, you know what? I I don't think there's going to be any. This is all going to be. It's all going to be combo. It's all going to be just. Dredge in control and that's what this matchup's going to be. So I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Merfolk, which is not really a tier one deck, but you know what? I don't know if anybody's gonna be ready for Merfolk. And sure enough, this happened a couple weeks ago where someone won this big modern challenge on MTGO with Merfolk, uh, because nobody was prepared for this deck that's always been around in Modern. Uh but the people who know how to play that deck, they know it ins and outs. They know, they know the probability of, you know, of the next card that they're going to draw. It's just when you know a deck so well, you, you play it so well. And so, yes, if you have the skills to just know exactly what your deck is doing, know exactly what card you're looking for and how to properly use it, your advantages are infinite.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. That generally skill will outperform luck across like a large enough sample of games. What happens is that, you know, you only play best of one in on arena and best two out of three in like a paper event with one person usually. And that's just not a representative sample for a game with like randomized outcomes. So I would say that the like the floor is like 2080 for players where like basically the the less experienced player, they're gonna be able to win at least 20% of the time just through like certain conditions that will pop up in certain sets of games yeah, exactly. so like the, there are like games where they're, uh, their draw procedurally plays out in a way that does not require them to make, like, decisions. Like, it's like, you play a land, you play a one-drop, play a land, play a two-drop, stuff like that. And I think that's still good. Like, I think it's good for the game that the less experienced or less skilled player has a shot against the more skilled player because that's how you encourage new players. Like, uh, I mean, knowing... from On the flip side, knowing that like there's never going to be really safe harbor against any opponent is is good that there's always going to be a challenge that like some games I'm really going to have to dig in and really look for within the context of the game every like little margin I can find in terms of like card advantage or really making the best use out of like the one powerful card I've drawn this game like that kind of stuff keeps me again coming back for more
4: yeah, and Chris, there are there are types of decks that are so much less skill intensive than other types. Uh, on Arena right now, I've been on the historic uh, uh, format. I've been playing uh, Soul Sisters, which is basically a mono white life gain deck. It's very straightforward. I can literally play it in my sleep, and I do it just to grind the ladder. Uh, well, I got another deck today, which is the Golos Field of the Dead deck, which is much more of this crazy. Uh, mid-rangey, controlly kind of just very, very strange. There's so many more decisions to make, and decks like that are piloted by an expert ten times better than a novice. But if you give an eight-year-old who knows how to play Magic a modern merfolk deck, he will beat Professionals eventually as long as he knows how to play because the deck speaks for itself turn one play a creature turn two play a creature that pumps all your creatures turn three play another creature that pumps all your creatures and put all your creatures on the board and attack for 20 and you win the game that's what (laughs) that's what merfolk (laughs) does uh so uh yeah
0: so we're over the hour mark here but I, i just have like a few questions like Wrangling around in my head. Um, I don't think we ever actually established this. How long is a game? Like, how long is a match?
1: Two minutes to half an hour.
0: Okay, okay. But not longer
4: than... In a tournament, you have 50 minutes to play uh, a match. 50 minutes to play a match. Uh, And if uh, if time is called at the end of 50 minutes, uh, then you go to who's won the most games. And if you're tied, it's a draw.
0: Um, you've mentioned the decks a few times. Are they all, like, tied... Is each each deck, like, a theme? Like, uh, the the, the closest parallel I can think of is, like, Warhammer, where it's like, I'm going to play the Tyranids, or I'm going to play the Chaos Knights. Is that kind of, like, how these decks are, but there's
1: far more of them? Like, like the named ones that Scott is talking about Mm -hmm. are... Those are usually decks that, like, somebody at a professional level has sort of, like, figured out... And like it's it's like a list of cards and they're like okay. put these cards in your deck and then okay. people can talk about that as a deck or they could be like I'm playing this deck but I switch this thing out
3: okay
1: um, but your deck could be whatever you want it to be you could make a terrible deck in which you will never be able to like cast a single spell like hmm. you could make your deck that badly or you could make a deck that you can play everything, but nothing is effective.
0: Okay, but it's not like a pre-sold package.
1: Uh, those do exist.
0: Oh, those do exist. Okay, never
1: mind. <laughs> but they're usually yeah. not good.
0: Okay.
4: They've gotten better. There's a new product called Challenger Decks, which are almost standard ready. You buy a Challenger Deck and you can... All, like, you buy a Challenger Deck and maybe buy four more cards, and you have a viable deck to play at uh, Friday Night Magic. Oh, that's good.
1: Because I know, like, all of their, like, intro products used to just be, like, cripplingly yeah, they, bad.
4: Right, they used to be really bad, and, and then literally, it, it was a really good idea, because they needed more players for standard, and then new players show up, and they really can't compete. And it was like, hey, buy this this product, it's a $30 product, but it's very close to a standard deck, instead of having the four mythic rares that you need, it has one of them. Uh so it's definitely weaker, but you will be competitive with this deck
1: right like you don't so, feel completely helpless correct
4: correct and and you will more than anything you'll learn how to play the game because you're playing with other players who really know how to play the game, um, which is good I belong on Facebook, I belong to two Facebook groups I belong to uh the humans Facebook group and then the stoneblade. Facebook group. I'm a big modern player. That's my main thing. And so literally, it's like, okay, what's your humans list this week? All right, well, here's what we're doing. The meta game's this. What do we all think? And so it's like this conglomerate. We all talk about the deck, and we all discuss and debate about, you know, which slot is better, and if we should cut this, and you know, do we need to go down to three ether vials? No, we got to stick at four ether vials. What about Thalia? I went three or four of her She's legendary. We only anyway. So that's that's just that's just more more Magic talk. But that's that's what they do you come together and you you kind of figure out what is the best and that's like like i said that's for competitive competitive stuff um
0: not for casual so we're over the hour mark uh we've kind of I've kind of asked all the questions i have um is there anything you all want to talk about something we haven't brought up or a question uh, i have
4: one i have one question for the other two gentlemen yes oh. What is, if there's one singular sell of your cards or one singular trade that you made that was literally the worst trade ever, uh, speaking in what the card would be worth right
2: now? A Tundra for a uh, pack of Odyssey, a pack of Torment, and a pack of Judgment. Oh my gosh, ouch. (laughs) Ouch.
0: Uh. Well, so what, for those of us not familiar, what, what, what's the money we're talking about here?
2: Uh, one second, let's uh, go. Tundra, <laughs> MTG Goldfish.
0: Was it a uh, any was it a,
4: was it a Beta Tundra
2: or was it Unlimited?
4: It was probably a fourth ed. Uh, probably fourth ed. Still re- revised. A revised Tundra is. Are they what three hundred?
2: A revised Tundra, according to this site, MTGPrice.com, goes for two hundred eighty dollars.
4: Yes, I was nearly at two. Two eighty for three packs of, what, $3 a piece. So that was that trade.
2: Yeah, this was like at the time those yeah. sets were new. So I had a friend who I worked
4: with catering, and he's like, I have a whole bunch of Magic cards. I really need to sell them. I don't know what to do with them. And I was like, well, hey, I'll come help you. I've been doing this finance stuff. I'll come help you. I'll go through all your cards. I'll tell you which cards are worth money and tell you where to sell them. Well, I, I, did, I did that for him. And I was like, I got him and blah, 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 blah. I was like, all right, you got about, about $1,000 worth of cards, blah, 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 sell them there. And he's like, well, thank you so much for helping. Here, why don't you take these two cards? And he gave me two Gaia's Cradles. <laughs> and, and at the time, in 2010, Gaia's Cradle was worth like 70 bucks. And then I took those two Gaia's Cradles because I didn't play Gaia's Cradles. And I, went, and I went to the local game store and I was like, I'd like to sell these. And he goes, I don't know, man, they're a little beat up. I'll give you fifty for each. And I was like, okay, great. I just made the best deal of my life. Gaia's cradle today is worth a thousand dollars.
0: Oh my god, why? Why is it worth that much? Because
4: it's on the reserve list, they won't reprint it, and it is big in C D E H and uh Legacy. It's just it's a card that is ex- extremely powerful, it is extremely rare, and a lot of people need it, and that's why it's so expensive. But also you have people buying the card out which means if everybody buys if i list if if there's 20 listings of guy's cradle right the highest one is for a thousand the lowest one is for 500 well if i take all my money and i buy up all the ones underneath the one that i have listed for a thousand then i have artificially made the price of Gaius cradle worth a thousand i bought out the card so i think in the last two weeks somebody somebody bought out Gaius cradle and now they're all like a thousand and now a bunch of people are flooding the market with they're getting rid of their guys cradles because it's just worth so
0: much money right now
4: it's so stupid i had two of them
0: this is so weird like you're all like rex tillerson with his oil like it doesn't i just it's so crazy and and like i know there's a whole side to this game like you mentioned earlier where like people who don't even play the game they just buy the cards
4: absolutely like stock markets yeah absolutely without a doubt yep and magic players have too many cards. I have... God, Chris, my closet is filled with magic cards and, and I and I play... I have like four decks. <laughs> and I could have a thousand decks. I have four of them. I play my... I got my two modern decks and I got my pioneer deck and then I got my standard deck which is not standard legal anymore. But I have four decks. That's it. And then just binders and binders and boxes and binders and um, boxes so, and
1: binders. So you need to pull out... Like, a shoebox full of commons and mail them to Chris, and then I will teach him how to play Magic. <laughs>
3: Got
4: it. We'll, we'll make that happen.
1: <laughs> All right. Because, I, honestly, I don't even know what game stores here are open right now with everything shut down. Um, yeah. Well, Magic Arena is fan-freaking-tastic. It oh, is good. So, it is so good. Because I played That's, whatever early version they made the in, like... I don't. I don't remember what game it was. I feel like it was around like two thousand two or something. And is, it was, it du- du- is that the it's duels the of the
4: plane walker Duels of the planeswalkers? Yeah, or, probably. Or, or, or MTGO. Magic, it was really um, clunky, yeah, and
1: it felt like I was just going to have to spend lots of money to do anything.
4: Yeah, that's Magic. That's Magic Gathering Online MTGO. Yeah.
1: Okay.
4: they have a free. They have a free to play system in Magic Arena. That I think honestly that's the easiest way to learn how to play Magic at this point, um, because it's a free download. When you join, when you you know when you join the Magic Arena, they give you a bunch of free, uh, crappy decks. Uh, you'll go into you don't have to do the ranked mode. You can do the regular play mode. You'll get beat every time because everybody's decks will be better than yours but you'll earn daily rewards. You'll get the coins. you save up the coins to get the gems. You get the gems to buy the packs. You get the packs to get the new cards. You get the new cards to make your deck better, and it's this endless cycle. And then all of a sudden you go, you know what, maybe I will throw $50 and get some gems. <laughs> and then and then you spend, and you're like, yeah, I want to do a right. couple more Amonkhet Remastered Drafts, and I drop $100 and do a couple Amonkhet Remastered Drafts today, which was fun. I lost both of them. Um <laughs>
0: it's so it's it's weird just like talking going back to like the money aspect of it, it i mean like it sounds like an expensive hobby it's like just I, really it addictive
1: is. to like rip open a pack of cards and see what you get
0: like i remember yeah. i remember when my brother was going through his warhammer phase like it, to 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 buy an army was very expensive um versus like D, where you buy you know two or three books and you're set
1: well, except you need a couple more books because you want to play in this one campaign setting. barring that. And then, you know,
3: that, and then that.
1: oh, a new edition came out a year later, and we got to reup all our books. And...
3: Um,
0: I have a final question to take us out, but before I ask it, I didn't know if there if there were any other things you all wanted to chat about, or if you had questions for each other, or, or...
1: oh, uh, you guys have a favorite artist? Oh, I do. I love Douglas Shuler, like especially his really early stuff. Where everybody had giant square jaws.
3: Nice.
4: Uh, I love uh, uh, John Avon. Uh, the, the the John Avon lands are my favorite uh, from Unhinged. They just reprinted, uh, reprinted them in VIP
2: Masters,
4: uh, and he's just fantastic. Fantastic.
2: I'm a big fan of uh, Christopher Rush. Oh, I, yeah. uh, one time in the evening after a tournament where he had been signing autographs, I had been drinking that evening and i was out and i ran into him with some friends just like out on the like the street corner before we cross and we were talking a little bit and he's he just he, he gave me the gi- most giant burn like a fireball for 20 he's like yeah i remember the first time i got drunk too <laughs>
3: <Nice>.
2: <laughs>
0: um that's on your roll Twenty av- avatar, right? Is that a picture from Magic?
2: Yeah,
1: and that's that—that that is actually uh, Douglas Schuler artwork. That's uh, Force of Nature.
0: Oh yeah, we didn't—we didn't. I guess we didn't really talk about like the artistry of it, because um, I know, like, again, the only way I can relate, like, D and D is always changing its art styles yeah. every few editions. This is th- something that happens pretty frequently.
1: Well, they bring in like new illustrators and stuff, but it's like really every set has a bunch of artists that work on it so there'll be a lot of different styles even within a printed set
0: oh cool hmm. um, my
4: avatar chris is also from magic the gathering
0: uh in roll 20 i don't remember i never see your avatar in roll 20 because you have your video on
4: oh you haven't seen my little avatar guy my little
0: no, my, no. it was like Whenever, well, also, the, yeah. the name
4: of my character is Urza, Chris, who is a very Dude. famous Magic wow. the Gathering
0: character. I don't know who that is. So. Exactly.
4: I'm an artificer in our D&D game, so I figured out oh, it nice. should be Urza, right? <laughs>
0: um, so kind of my final question to all of you is, what, you know, in a post-COVID environment, I, I'm sure there's not nearly as many games being played, what, what do you kind of hope... Is the future of Magic? Obviously, it's really exploded since the '90s, and Wizards is currently the owner, right? Yeah, that that Mm -hmm. Wizards is gonna take care of it quite well. Um, What do you kind of hope? You know, what's something you would love to see done with the game?
2: Uh, I guess I would like to see just like with a lot of events where I'm hoping the Gatherings can uh, come back together. Like there used to be these uh, Magic Fests that they would run. Uh, you know, basically every weekend or every two weeks in different spots around the country. And I'm hoping to see those return because, you know, for the longest time, they were just uh, competitive tournaments for people. But recently, in the past year or two, they converted them to having like partly tournaments and then also more of a general convention feel to try and draw in a larger uh, swath of players and I think just when I'm able to attend my first G- GP or Magic Fest after this is all over, I'll uh, I'll be a little happier.
4: I could not agree with that more. Um, I go to the uh, uh, the New York New Jersey Magic Fest every year. I've, I've been going the last uh, four fi- uh, four years four or five years, um, and it is. Uh, it, it's it's so much fun. It's just so incredibly fun. There's. It's if you're a casual player, you got Command Zone. You got a million Magic players waiting to test out their new decks. You have professional players on the end doing spell slinging. You want to go play a game with Reed Duke? He's sitting there, standing in line, and you can go play a game with Reed Duke. There's the main event. There's all these other little qualifiers. You can you can draft. They had this mystery boosters. All the artists are here. They got accessories. They got this big stand that has like root beer, and you buy a mug and you can keep filling it up with root beer all day. It's like it's like it's like Disney World man it's so amazing and then the big thing you do is you take your big box of cards that you don't want anymore and you take them right up to Channel Fireball or cool stuff game and you go buy these cards for me and then they give you money and then you go and buy more magic cards
0: <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Pete what do you want to see from what do you want to see from the game
1: I mean I really just after this conversation like it's I've played like maybe Two or three games in the last like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I would love to just like get a couple of decks together and like kill you with a bloodlusted bird of paradise.
0: You know, you know what? So a couple things. Like, if you ever get the deck together, I will gladly play you. But I, I don't know if it's something I would like. I really don't know.
1: Oh, you would, so
3: I,
4: you, Chris. You would love the game. You would hate the gambling aspect of it. That you would hate that portion of it. But the game itself. If I, here's the thing. I'll, I'll bring my decks to our thing in October. I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring my commander decks and I'll bring my modern decks, and and we'll we'll sit down and play. You will love the game. You will hate the idea
0: of having to spend a lot of money on it.
4: (laughs) I, I, but I
0: don't, I don't, I mean, first off, money is a finite resource right now. So yeah, but, but like, but like two, two things that magic doesn't have. Um, I'm not a huge competitive gamer. Like I love cooperative gaming, which is why I like D and D and Imperial assault and, you know, half a dozen other board games. But I also really like miniatures (laughs) Right, but but <laughs> like I've never been into card games for because there's no miniatures. But I know. think,
1: like like these cards have such personality to them. Okay, like I'll, I'll try it. I'll try. You got it. Gotta, yeah, I'll try it. I gladly will try it. And and each game sort of turns into its own story. It's kind of like if you took just the encounters from hmm. like a and campaign.
0: Huh.
3: Okay. Like
1: there are people who love that. They they love the like. I'm going to roll some dice. You're going to roll some dice. You're going to roll some dice. Something happened. Mm -hmm. And like, that's their favorite part of the game. And that's basically what magic is.
0: Okay. All right. I'll try it. (laughs) I'll try it. Uh, Gentlemen, we've got to wrap this up. Um, So real quick, let's go around. Where can people find you? If they want to connect with you about magic or just follow you on the social media places where, where can people stalk you? (laughs)
2: Well, hey. Uh, so again, I'm Bill Nielsen. I do a lot of podcasting under the title So Many Bits that, uh, that comes out every Monday. features interviews with uh, indie game devs and also talking with my friends about uh, various topics. I stream on Twitch under the same name, So Many Bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Usually it's Wednesdays for a single-player experience, Thursdays for a multiplayer experience. I haven't been streaming that much magic lately, but I you know, I've I've been there. I've been, I've streamed a lot in the past and I should, I believe, still have a VOD of a Vintage Cube draft on there if you wanted to check it out. Otherwise, I'm sure I'll be back to Magic at some point soon.
0: <laughs> you were streaming something on Twitch uh, just a couple weeks ago that was like, oh yes, he's playing that game. And I totally don't remember what game you're playing. Uh, maybe it was happy. Panzer Paladin? No, I, th- I think it was a Super Nintendo game that I was like, oh, I don't know if Bill's played that. Uh, and I don't remember what it was, or maybe, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Now I'm forgetting. <laughs> now, you're right. Um, Scott, where can people find you?
4: Uh, I'm uh, on Instagram, at tscottross. Ross. Also, I am creating a brand new YouTube, Magic the Gathering show, as if anybody needed to see another one of those. Uh, but it's called Mostly Mulligans, uh, and uh, uh, it's going to be me drinking a Manhattan, opening expensive boxes of Magic cards to see... If uh, uh, I get hosed or if I get – I don't have a good rhyme yet. I'm working on that, you guys. (laughs) If I get slapped or if I get stacks. There it
3: is.
0: (laughs) There's that music theater
3: degree.
4: Well, yeah, because everybody's got box openings, and I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a Manhattan. And I'm going to go do a box opening and talk about the cards, you know, not like, not like Rudy or the professor or not like these guys do it, but like, but like, like, like I do it, you know, so we'll see what happens. But I've got a couple videos in the can. I just opened a whole bunch of VIP masters, which are a hundred dollars a pack, uh, but uh, uh, I opened nine of them. Spoiler alert: I did open the full art foil Force of Will, which is a five hundred dollar card. So I definitely made all my money back. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I'm crazy. Instead of gambling at Las Vegas, I play Magic: The Gathering now.
0: <laughs> You're a proficient gambler, though. We should we should put that on the table, though.
4: I yes, I am a, also a proficient gambler. Yes. Yeah,
0: you are very good at gambling. <laughs> Pete, what about you?
1: Um, I'm generally findable on Facebook or Instagram as myself, uh, and hopefully, sometime soon, uh, people will be able to see a couple episodes of a new web series called uh, Terrence and Houston in Space, which I've been learning all kinds of new technical skills to make happen. Uh, yep,
3: I bet you have. It's
1: it's been a journey, uh, <laughs> but but they're they're basically done. So we'll we'll see where they end up.
0: Uh, I've been your host, Chris Bashan. Uh, we take topic suggestions here at Nerd Outcast Podcast, so if you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email them to Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's been a big year for different things. We had a big Mario podcast recently. We started the year with Star Wars, um, and we'll be drifting into the Watchmen and a couple of other uh, big nerd properties, finally discussing The Witcher here. Uh, speaking of card gaming... Um, so be on the lookout for those episodes. Um, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic discussion about addiction. It really has. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been so interesting. I've been your host, Chris Bashin, and talking with me about Magic the Gathering have been...
1: Pete Novice, Bill Nielsen. T.
0: Thank you, and have a good evening.